I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 33, starting at verse 18. Exodus 33, 18. It's just after the uh, golden calf and Moses breaking the tablets and the poor guy has to be reassured. And so starting at verse 18, then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Then the Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the, the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Well, it's a great joy to be with you this morning and to sit under God's word together to hear that incredible passage uh, read so well for us. Will you join me in prayer as we come to hear God's word? Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you that this morning you have 
carved out time and space for us so that we might come to know you more deeply. We thank you that this morning is a morning in which we rest in your patience as kindness toward us. And we dare to ask you this morning that your patience might not be unfruitful in our lives, that we might know you more deeply, we might have more cause for joy in you today, and that through us your patience might be exercised towards our families and our communities and our world so that others might come to saving knowledge of you. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the place, to, the place to start thinking about patience and kindness, these two fruits of the Holy Spirit that are listed for us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the place to start thinking about them isn't by looking up the words patience and kindness in a dictionary and then asking how we can do these things better. Paul tells us that patience and kindness are fruits of the Spirit of God. And so the place to start thinking about these virtues is with God. Patience and kindness are the product of the power and presence of God in a person's life. They are God's fruitfulness in a human. So if we're going to start thinking about patience and kindness... We're going to start thinking about God's patience and kindness because that is what's bearing fruit among us. And that's why I wanted to start today by thinking about God's patience and kindness in the context of Exodus chapter 34, the passage that was just read for us. In that passage, Yahweh, I am the Lord God, appeared to Moses on top of Mount Sinai and spoke out God's name. Here's that verse again. Then the Lord, Yahweh, I am God, came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. An older translation, which many of you will be familiar with, the King James Version says, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. That idea of long-suffering, slow to anger, is the kind of root of the biblical idea of patience. The Hebrew word erech is the word that's translated as patience throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It's a fascinating word. It literally comes from the idea of a nose. The concept of anger in the Bible is the idea that your nose gets hot. It's a pretty funny kind of idea, isn't it? Like, and you can kind of see where the idea comes from. Like, if someone gets really kind of worked up, their face gets red, their nose goes bright red, they get a hot nose. So if you're an angry person in the Bible, you're a hot-nosed person. If you're a patient person, you're a long-nosed person. So literally where it says that God here is patient, long-suffering, it says in Hebrew that he's long-nosed. God is a long-nosed God. It's because his nose doesn't get hot quickly. It takes a while for it to get all the way down to the end of that long nose. If you're an arrogant person, you're high-nosed. So in the Bible, ethics and virtue, it's all about what, you nose, what nose you have. If you're a Christian, shaped after God, you're to be a long-nosed person, like God, a patient person. Here is God declaring what he is like to Moses. And one of the headline characteristics of God is that he is patient, long-nosed. But stop for a moment, right there. 
Why does God introduce himself like that? Why is that God's name for himself? Well, to understand why God declares himself like that, we need to know a little bit more about that bigger story behind what's happening in those verses. A little bit more background on Exodus 34. The background is the nation of Israel's rescue from being slaves in Egypt. And after that rescue, God brings them to this mountain. He meets with the nation. And God gives them a law to live by, to understand how to live. And, God, and the people agree to worship God. They form a covenant, an agreement with God. But then almost immediately, as Moses goes up the mountain to receive instruction from God, the people break that agreement by deciding to worship the statue of a golden calf. And those of you who know the Bible, you know this story well. It's, the, the juxtaposition is just crucial, it's excruciating, isn't it? God is speaking to Moses, the first thing he says is worship no other gods and down on the bottom of the mountain in the valley they're bowing down to a golden calf but that isn't an isolated incident in fact it's a classically human moment the way the bible understands the story of the people of israel is as though it's a crystallization of the human story beginning with eden where god creates his humans god's creative goodness to us is received with thanklessness, rebellion, arrogance, high-nosed behaviour towards God. In the Golden Calf Rebellion, God nearly destroys Israel, but he forgives them when their leader Moses prays. And then after that, Moses asks to see God's glory, his visible, tangible presence, as a reassurance that God has forgiven them. And the result is the defining moment, a defining moment in the story of the Bible. And it's the bit that was read out for us. God says to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I am in your presence. But you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. God says to Moses, when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock, a little hollow in the rock, and I'll cover you up with my hand until after I've passed by, then I'll remove my hand and you'll be able to see my back, but my face must not be seen. But interestingly, after that section, when the actual event is narrated, we don't hear about Moses seeing anything. What happens is he hears, he hears the name proclaimed. God says to him, he proclaims his name, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, patient and abundant in goodness and truth. Moses sees nothing. He hears an audible description of God's overpowering reality. And right at the heart of that is his patience. It's his patience because it belongs within that story of human rebellion and thanklessness. So here's a key idea, a key thing if you're a note-taking person or a, you're going to remember something, here's a key idea. God's patience can only be understood within the story of his relationship with us. God's patience is an aspect of his character revealed in his long-suffering against human sin. Now why is that a key idea? 
Well, there's a danger for us when we come to think about the idea of patience, and we're just kind of picking a, a word out of a list of things in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that we'll project onto God our human idea about what patience is. We'll make God's patience a bigger version of our own. And then when we try to think about what our patience is, we'll just kind of complete the loop. We'll kind of project our version of patience onto God and then read that back again into ourselves and say, well, that's what we should do. The problem with that is that humans think terribly about patience. Have you ever seen that famous um, child psychology torture children kind of video where they kind of put children in a room and then put some marshmallows in front of them and tell them like uh, you know if you don't eat the marshmallow now if you just let it sit in front of you for the next five minutes I'm going to come back and I'll give you two marshmallows and they it's, it's hilarious to watch you should like google this on YouTube and you can watch these children sitting there in front of the marshmallow and some of them will kind of creep up and maybe nibble the corner of the marshmallow and hold on to the table to kind of stop themselves from eating the marshmallow and nearly all of the children will gobble down the marshmallow, right? Even though they know if they just hold on for five minutes, they'll get two marshmallows. And all of us identify that with, with that, don't we? Like, patience is hard for humans. It's one of our basic cognitive biases is to have the thing in front of us now rather than wait for a good thing still to come. Except for Presbyterians, that Scottish heritage makes you really good at waiting for the future, doesn't it? Like, yeah. So the danger in us thinking about God's patience as a bigger version of ours is that we just don't think about patience well at all to start with. It's this sort of excruciating self-control. The relationship, as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is exactly the other way around. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit of God. I.e., patience is, first of all, God's thing. Produced in us by him. So understanding patience starts with God. And to understand patience in God means understanding God as part of his story, the story of Eden and Israel. Well, what does patience actually look like when we understand it within that story? And you'll forgive me if I just shorten and summarize that for you, because we would spend a few weeks if we really wanted to go through it all. Let me give you four things that God's patience consists in when we understand it as he reveals it in his story. It consists, first of all, in time. God's patience consists in giving a stretch of time. At the biggest scale, it consists in the time of human history. It consists in the fact that when Adam and Eve sin against God by taking the fruit, God does not immediately condemn them to non-existence or to death or to hell, but bears with them even though death enters into their lives from that time on, there's still a history to come. Embedded in the curses is the promise of an offspring. There will be a history, a time. God gives time. But that time includes opposition to God, opposition to His will. So patience consists of time in the context of opposition. In the story of the um, giving of the law, the opposition is human sinfulness expressed in the golden calf. But God's time in the face of opposition, is over, the opposition is overcome because of God's commitment, a promise that he has made that he sticks to in the face of that opposition. The promise that he made to Abraham, the promise that he made to Israel that he would take them into their own land for Abraham's sake. 
So patience in God consists of time in the face of opposition in light of a commitment, a promise, a covenant that he's made. And all of that is oriented towards a hope, a goal that God works to bring about regardless of the opposition, which is the blessing to all nations through Abraham's offspring. Time, opposition, commitment, hope. These are the things that make up patience. We'll see those things over and over again in God's story. That's what we mean by God's patience. When we turn to the pages of the New Testament, one of the ways that we recognize Jesus and know that he is someone who speaks and acts in the identity of God is that he shows us God-like patience. Remember that Moses couldn't see God? When he was up on the mountain, he heard an audible description of God's glory. Remember that And then feel the drama when John says to us, in John chapter 1 verse 14, we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. What Moses only heard, we saw. And the words grace and truth there are the words that summarize in Greek, the words abounding in love and faithfulness. It's a direct mapping of what Moses heard about in Exodus 34 verse 6, Onto what we have seen, John says, in Jesus. John 1.14. The patience of God is now visible in Jesus' flesh. And one of the ways that we know that Jesus is God is that he's patient like God. What does that mean? Well, it means time, opposition, commitment and hope. The time of God's patience in Jesus is his incarnation. He sets aside his glory with the Father and humbles himself into human flesh and is born as a baby. Does this ever just make your mind boggle, particularly around Christmas time? Why did God do it that way? Why did he spend so much time just being a baby? Just persisting with kind of years and years of like teething and growing up and playing and all this stuff that goes on for 30 odd years before he actually gets to the public ministry. All this time that God gives in the incarnation. And in Jesus we see opposition. We see him tempted by Satan. We see human leaders who rise up against him. We see him in the context of interacting with human sinfulness. What it means for Jesus to be incarnate in the flesh, this gift of time, is time in the context of opposition, which ultimately we see him suffering on the cross. He does all of this because of a commitment, a commitment to the glory of his Father, that it might be seen in him. And he does it out of hope, that he might be the first among many brothers. All of this is the patience of God in Jesus. At its starkest, The patience of God is the cross. The ultimate figure of patience is the incarnate God stretched out and nailed to a wooden beam. When we read in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 that the fruit of the Spirit includes patience, we mean that patience, not just being able to hang on for a marshmallow. We mean the patience of God nailed to a cross. The work of the Spirit is to conform us to the image of Christ, 
The patience of God in our lives means four things. It means time, it means opposition, it means commitment, and it means hope. It means time in the shape of our lives. Our lives lived in the last days. It means opposition. Opposition in our lives breaks down into kind of two different categories, and you'll see the Bible use these two words to describe it. Patience is endurance when the opposition is impersonal and external. So in the start of the book of James, we're told to endure many trials, and you'll see that theme throughout the book of Hebrews. Patience as endurance is going on in the face of adversity, whether that's our own weakness or poverty or a hostile society. Endurance is patience in the face of an external, impersonal opposition. But patience is also described as forbearance, it's the other main word to use to describe patience, when the opposition is directly personal at you. When someone else is, someone else's hatred of you, or just the irritation or the unforgiveness, when it's directed at you, patience means forbearance, bearing with them. Patience for us, as the Spirit conforms us to Christ, is time, our lives, in the face of opposition, maybe as endurance in the face of hostile circumstances or adversity, or forbearance when it's direct personal opposition. It's those things done out of commitment, out of our loyalty to the Lord Jesus, out of faith, in hope, that through us, God might draw others to the knowledge and worship of His Son and draw all of us together into His redeemed world. Paul speaks of this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, as the hope that is stored up for us in heaven that is the wellspring of faith and love in the Christian life. Now, you can see this kind of patience dotted throughout the lives of God's saints in Scripture. Do you remember those ancient people, Simeon and Anna, in the temple? In fact, this time of year, the season of Advent, we often remember Simeon and Anna as they waited for Jesus in the temple. The ancient Simeon, who God had said would not pass from this life until his eyes had seen the Messiah. And day after day, week after week, he had come to the temple. And in the morning he would get up and he would say, is today the day, Lord? And day after day, it wouldn't be the day. And patiently he waited for the consolation of Israel. And then one day this ancient man is handed a baby. He looks down at it. He says, today, Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. I can depart in peace. That is a man of patience. His life, his time in the face of opposition was lived in commitment because of hope. We can pick up so many other. Paul suffering in prison or shipwrecked. John the Revelator on the island of Patmos receiving this great vision. As he writes, he says, your brother in the patient endurance. That's how he describes himself. The suffering of Christians in the book of James or Hebrews. Everyone listed on the pages of the great gallery of faith in Hebrews 11 is characterized by patience. Learning to grow in patience is something that we can do as we imitate these godly examples. It's the second key idea. We understand patience by looking at God's patience. We can learn to inhabit the life of patience by looking at those models of godly patience. 
And we can multiply examples beyond the pages of Scripture. The wonderful godly man, William Wilberforce, whose two great objects in life were the abolition of the slave trade and the reformation of manners, the change of lifestyle among the English people, who year after year would introduce again into Parliament the legislation to abolish the slave trade and year after year would see it defeated. And then as an old man, sees it pass and weeps for joy. There's a man of great patience, whose patience was God's kindness. Adoniram Judson, the first American missionary commissioned to go to Burma, who lost three wives, multiple children, spent time in prison, dug his own grave and sat beside it to meditate on it. He translated the Bible into Burmese, into the, the Karen dialect. Saw very little evangelistic fruit in his lifetime, but through that translation of the Bible, saw many, many people in Myanmar come to faith. As a man of patience. Someone here today will be maybe a grandparent or a family member who's prayed for a member of your family who hasn't become a Christian and maybe is praying patiently today. Or maybe has paid patiently and seen that person come to faith. And in you, God's patience towards that person has been seen. This is Christian patience. Christian patience is a distinctly Christian virtue. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not the same as non-Christian patience. Whether that's the fatalism that you might see in Islam, where God will do whatever God will do, and we will just resign ourselves to it. It's not that kind of patience. It's not Stoicism, the sort of classical Greek philosophy that you sometimes find in kind of gaining a grip on young men particularly today, where patience is actually just gritting your teeth and not letting it get you down. It's not Buddhist patience, it's not mindfulness, where you detach yourself from suffering, from your attachment to things, and so you don't feel any more time or opposition. Christian patience is not those things. You see it powerfully in the way that it fits within the list of Christian virtues. You see, the fruits of the Spirit that are listed for us in Galatians 5.22 are a unity. They're all together things. There's a complete picture here of a human life well lived. The fruits of the Spirit aren't separate ideas, they're facets of a single gem. And that means Christian patience is loving patience, not detached patience. It's joyful patience, not fatalistic or stoic patience. It's peace-oriented patience. Christian patience is what we find in human lives who see themselves within God's story and so give their time in the face of opposition because of a commitment in hope so that our story might conform to God's story. Christian patience is joyful patience, loving patience, peace-oriented patience, and that means it's kind patience and now I'm going to finally talk about kindness you're kind of worried for a bit there weren't you thinking oh he's lost the brief he was supposed to talk about patience and kindness I'm going to talk about kindness now when the New Testament speaks about kindness it's striking how often it does this in connection with God's patience Galatians 5:22 is an example of this but there are many others and the other great example of this is in 2 Peter chapter 3 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, he's long-nosed. Now, some understand slowness, 
Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter expands on this a few verses later in verse 15. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. And he goes on to say, Paul writes many difficult things that are hard to understand. And we often get kind of fixated on that, which is interesting, what's what's the difficult things that Paul writes? I, I resonate with that, Peter, yeah, it's a bit hard to understand. And then Peter says something even more dramatic, which people distort as they do the other scriptures, which is a great verse for actually understanding that what Paul wrote, Peter understood as part of the Bible, even at the time when Paul was still alive and Peter was still alive. But getting kind of carried away with all of that exciting stuff that we see there, we forget to ask the question, what part of Paul is Peter referring to? When he says, just as Paul wrote you. Well, I think this, the most straightforward answer to that is this, what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What Peter has been saying, that God's patience means salvation, that God's patience is designed to lead you to repentance. He says that's also what Paul says when Paul says that God's kindness and forbearance and patience is meant to lead you to repentance. God's patience, this formation of time and opposition and commitment and hope is oriented towards other people for their good as kindness. God's patience is his kindness towards us. And that's also true of us. Our patience is kindness. God's patience creates, God's patience as kindness creates time and space for human lives to come to know him. Karl Barth, the famous Swiss theologian of the 20th century, wrote that the patience of God is a purposeful concession of space and time. In one of, his, one of the greatest sections of his church dogmatics, which is on the patience and wisdom of God. Our lives as Christians are expressions of God's patience to others. This is actually a really deep way of thinking about your own suffering and struggles in the world. God permits you to suffer and to struggle because he is being patient to others through you. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up for a moment. Who here wouldn't be a Christian if Jesus had returned 20 years ago? If Jesus had returned 20 years ago, who wouldn't be a Christian today? Yeah. If Jesus had returned 10 years ago, who wouldn't be a Christian? Or five, or one? 50, 100, yeah. Yeah. All the rest of us, all of those kind of things that you've lived through in the last kind of year or two years or 10 years or 50 years, the sufferings and the struggles and the joys, they weren't just about you. They were about that other person. Following Christ, our patience is the gift of our time in the face of opposition flowing from our commitment to Christ out of hope for others. Our patience is God's kindness through us to others. How do you think about this this week? The parents among us, the mothers among us, raising a child 
It's one of the great tests of patience, isn't it? I'm pretty sure a few of us are wrestling with that even today, right? Trying to help these little ones kind of understand what's going on. (laughs) Going over and over the same thing with them again and again and again. Bearing with them when they just can't get it. Particularly when they're really little. I distinctly remember those kind of times when you're up in the middle of the night with your little one. And you've done all the things, right? Like, okay, I've done the nappy, I've done the food, done the burping, right? Like, all the stuff now is sorted. Why are you still crying? Like, <laughs> and the kind of patience that is required in that moment. That patience is God's kindness through you to that little child. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The workers among us. Where does your mind go this week as you think about the demands that will be placed on your patience? when you show up at work? What are the tasks? Where are the colleagues? How will your patience be God's kindness to another person in your workplace this week? To the older members of our church family this morning, perhaps with more flexible time, can I call you again to the patience of prayer? Prayer is the most quintessential form of Christian patience in the Bible from the call to God to let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven to the cry of the martyrs in the book of Revelation, how long, O Lord, to the final Christian prayer of the Bible in Revelation 22.20, come Lord Jesus, prayer is the patience of Christian people petitioning God to do his will in his time against all opposition out of commitment to his promises in hope of all people being reconciled to his glory. If you want to be a patient person, commit yourself to prayer. Pray particularly for those in your family who do not yet know the Lord. And some of you maybe are doing that for decades. Don't give up. Your prayer, patiently, is God's kindness to them through you. Don't stop. For all of us, Patience, maybe today in our society, often means non-reactivity in the face of hostility. To bear with unjust accusations, to be discriminated against, not to return hatred with revenge but with kindness. To constantly seek the repentance and restoration of our communities is God's patience as his kindness through us to others. In all of these things, let me finish by giving you a couple of ways to think. Count your time as a gift for others, not a resource for yourself. Endure or forbear in the context of opposition so that others might have life. Rest your patience by drawing it back constantly to your commitment to the Lord. When you're rocking the baby in the middle of the night, this is part of my faith in the Lord Jesus the issues in my patience towards this child or to this colleague or to this family member. Rest your patience by connecting it to your allegiance to the Lord and then continue to fuel your patience with a tangy vision of the goal that we're heading towards. Because patience isn't the end point. It's just the point in the story that we are at now. One day we will receive what we wait for patiently. Brothers and sisters, as you do this, God's fruit in you, the Spirit's fruit, will be a patience that is God's kindness. 
it will be a kindness that is exercised in Christ-like patience. My prayer is that that would be true more and more for me and for you and for all God's people. Amen. Let me pray. Now, Father, when we step out of the busyness of our day for a moment and we think of the way that you have suffered for us and given us time, born with us in our rebellion, committed yourself to our good in the hope that we might share life with your son, we are humbled by your patience. Would you please bear this fruit in our lives? you make us more patient this week in the different spheres of life that you've given us so that we might not only be recipients of your kindness in your patience but be your kindness in our patience with others. We pray in the name of your son. Amen.